We're going to be in Genesis 26 this morning. And uh, for those of you that still maintain the discipline of bringing your Bible to church <laughs> or your uh, smartphone, if that's how you get the scriptures, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read together a rather lengthy passage of scripture. It's Genesis chapter 26, the story of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And I want to read 26, 12 through 25, 12 through 25, and then I'm going to drop down to 32 and 33. Isaac planted crops in the land in the same year, repeated a hundredfold, reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them, to this, gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water's ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna, which means opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well, a third well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we can flourish in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. I want to drop down to 32. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug. And they said, we found water. We found water. And he called it Sibnaf, and to this day, the name of the town has been called Beersheba. Father, we thank you for your word and for the kingdom principles you will teach us. We honor your word by standing, and we thank you, Father, that you will open our ears to hear what it is the Spirit of the Lord wants to say to us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about digging wells for fresh water in places that are new to you. Let me say that again so you aren't distracted. I want to talk to you about digging wells of fresh water in places that are new to you. Now, that could mean developing a new relationship with an unbeliever. Uh, it could mean that uh, you're going to end up at a new job or be in a new neighborhood, something like that. It could be breaking into a new dimension of faith. Uh, it, it could mean any number of things, but in a new place, in a new space for you, start to dig wells, pitch your tent, and encamp there for a season of time. Now, the background of our story is that Abraham 
was, as you know, was the head of the Hebrew people, the fountainhead, and God called him to leave his country and go to a new land. There God promised to make him a great nation and bless the peoples of the earth through his descendants. So Abraham obeyed the Lord, and there's a really wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and even though we're going to talk about Isaac, I've got to give you this verse. It's one of my favorite uh, in the scriptures. If we've got it, Hebrews 11 and verse 8 and 9, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I just love that. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. See, that's what faith is all about versus fear. We didn't read the portion in here where Isaac was afraid when he came into the land, and and Rebecca was a beautiful woman. And so when uh, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, came to him, he thought, well, they might kill me. And so he said, because they wanted Rebecca, so he said, well, she's my sister. And so he moved out of fear rather than faith. Oh, well, she's my sister. Abraham went out not knowing where he went. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. So Abraham married Sarah, who, as you know, was barren for a long time. But in their old age, Sarah gave Abraham a son whom he named Isaac. Who knows what the name Isaac means? It means, yeah, several here. It means laughter. And Sarah laughed in Genesis 21, 6. Abraham was actually 100 years old when Isaac was born. Let's fast forward now 75 years to where Abraham is 175 years old. There he passed away. He left his inheritance. They, they did inheritances in Israel, in the Hebrew nation, different than we do them. Um, I'm looking at Kevin now and his family, and he's got two children sitting there beside him. So... Uh, He has many years yet to live, but when he passes away, he'll probably pass his inheritance onto his two children and divide it in half. Um, We have three children. Probably our inheritance will be divided in thirds. But in the Old Testament, the patriarchs gave their inheritance to the firstborn. It was the right of the firstborn. And so if we had read earlier in the passage of Scripture, we would have discovered that uh, Abraham did give gifts to some of his other children. But to Isaac, it says in the Bible, he gave everything he had. That would sure make some children unhappy today, wouldn't it? (laughs) That would make some kids pretty unsettled, I'm sure. Uh, Anyway, so so as you read this story about Isaac, one of the first things I noticed was that, that Isaac reminded me of a PK or an MK. Who knows what a PK or an MK is? Uh, Yeah, I see some hands up. That means preacher's kid or missionary's kid. Um, um, My son... Andrew and Jeff are preacher's kids because they grew up with a dad who was a preacher. And there's something that all preacher's kids and missionary kids go through. You know, they live sort of like in a glass fishbowl. They're being watched all the time. Mom and dad are saying, now look, you can't act up at church. Everybody's watching our family. We have to be the model family. So even though you don't intend to put expectations on them, they grow up with tons of expectations. And preacher's kids and missionary kids, they also usually have a whole lot of head knowledge and often not a lot of heart experience and genuine encounters with God. So uh, you see young people growing up uh, that are pastor's kids that, that struggle frequently. Now, in his search for purpose and identity, Isaac traveled south to Gerar, and he was accepted there by the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, so he stayed in Gerar and began planting crops. By the way, uh, Isaac grew up 
actually with his father Abraham in Beersheba, which was about 25 miles away. So he traveled 25 miles, went south. And it says in verses 12 to 14, this is just really amazing. God, you know, he had to honor his promise to Isaac because of his covenant, his oath with Abraham, right? God cannot lie. Uh, We often say God can do anything. You've heard that phrase before, God can do anything. The scriptures actually teach us there's one thing God cannot do. And you already know what it is. God cannot lie. Numbers 23. We actually have that verse. Numbers 23. I learned it in the old King James. God is not a man that he should lie. It says God is not human that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is faithful. God fulfills his word. Every promise he has ever made ever made will be fulfilled. Now, it goes on and it talks about how wealthy he is. And did you notice the progression? It said that he was rich. And then it said he was wealthy. And then it said he became very wealthy. Now, we don't identify with that, do we? Unless you're different than me. Uh, Maybe you've won the lottery. Maybe you own a multi-billion dollar international business, and if you do, God bless you for that. But most of us can't identify with the station that Isaac found him in. He was not only rich, he was wealthy. And he was not only wealthy, but he was very wealthy. We have this uh, sense that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, uh, you need to be poor. That followers of Jesus were fishermen, they didn't have anything. They... um, you know, you give everything away, right? You surrender everything and you give everything away. But I want to be sure that you understand in Scripture, you know, money is not a sin, right? What did Paul say to Timothy in First Timothy chapter 6? It's not money that is a sin. It is the what? The love of money that is a sin, there's nothing wrong with prosperity at all. I, now, I know that several years ago, it's probably been 20 years now when the Word of Faith movement started the prosperity message, and we all heard an out-of-balance out of message about prosperity. You know, name it and claim it. You can have anything you want, and if you don't, then you're sinning and not following God. That's not where I'm going. But I want you to know that God loves to prosper His people. Because those that really know God, when they receive, they give it away. I have been privileged as the president, CEO, and chairman of the board of a number of organizations to know a number of very, very wealthy people. I'm talking about multiple millionaires. And, and you know, they live in a world where they don't really know who their friends are. Because they think that people that come near to them really just want their money. And it's very difficult for them to know who is a genuine, trustworthy friend. But everyone I have known that serves God like that, they're so generous. They just give it away. God gives it to them, and they give it away. And God gives it to them, and they give it away. And instead of closing their hand and holding it and and becoming stagnant, you know, like water is stagnant, when it's blocked, when you let it flow, then new water flows in and new water flows out. And this, this is just a beautiful, amazing thing. I want you to see 1 Chronicles 29.12, if you would. Look at 1 Chronicles 29.12, where it says this, Wealth and honor come from you. It's talking about God. Wealth and honor come from you. That's enough. We'll just stop there. Wealth comes from you. Wealth comes from you.
So we go on in our text. The Philistines were jealous. They were afraid. So they stopped up the wells of Isaac. His father and Abraham had dug generations earlier. And it says in verse 16 that Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You're too powerful. I want to just stop there and think about that for a minute and pray a prayer that each one of you will experience this in your life. In Jesus' name, that's enough. I've prayed it for you. I pray it over you that your enemies will come to you and say, move away from us. Your God is too powerful. I pray over you that Pharaohs will come to the Moses that the kings will come to the servants and say, go ahead, leave. Get out of the land. You're too powerful for us. Your God is too powerful for us. I love it in Scripture when you see this kind of a flip-flop, when you see this role reversal take place. And it happens so many times. I've just told you about one of them where Pharaoh is the king. He's got all the power. He's got the mightiest army, the mightiest empire in the world. And he tells a servant, a shepherd guy, Moses, a prophet, go ahead and leave. You're too powerful for us. You remember Daniel and King Darius or Darius, whichever way you pronounce it? Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Daniel's a slave. Daniel was taken a prisoner along with his Hebrew friends and carried off to Babylon. And yet the time came when they bowed to the God of Babylon. You remember we talked about Acts 16 and it was midnight and Paul and Silas were in the prison. They'd been whipped. They'd been beaten. They were the prisoners. They were in stocks. They were enslaved. And yet the jailer is on his knees to the prisoners because there was a shaking and the, and the stocks and the chains broke loose. They were praising God at midnight and all of a sudden there's this flip-flop, this role reversal. And this is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 14. And I'm going to quote it to you the way I learned it in the old authorized version. The sons of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. It says the children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. I pray that over you, that when you're on the job, when you're at school, when you're uh, on your business or where, education, wherever God has you, that people will recognize the anointing of God in your life and the power of God in your life and that they will see that you walk with the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, and that they will say, your God is powerful and that your enemies will flee and run for you, run from you. Back to our story. Has God ever asked you to move on when you were prospering and comfortable in a place? This is, this is what they said. Now, from Isaac's perspective, this whole thing is unfair. There's no justice in it at all. Because see, you, I, Isaac, he listened to God. God said, don't go to Egypt. So he didn't go to Egypt. And he didn't just barge into the land of the Philistines. He went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and he said to them, do I have permission to stay here? And just like Abimelech with his father Abraham said, Abimelech said, yes, you may stay here. So he's comfortable and he's prospering in this place. And all of a sudden, I'm going to call it the Lord says to him, it might be an enemy and it might be God come to you and say, it's time to move, relocate, go somewhere else. That can be a hard word. That can be a very hard word when you're comfortable and you're prospering where you are. I've had that happen on many occasions. This is an experience that sons and daughters of God 
will experience in lifetimes more than you want. Just, just imagine. I'm thinking now what Pastor Dustin's family is feeling down there in Southern California, and they've been how many? Ten? I, I forget how many years. I remember they were ten years uh, children and youth pastor, and for the last four years they've been a been a uh, associate pastor. And I, I don't know how long they've been down there, but they're thinking about in a comfortable place where they have a good salary and where everything's taken care of and all of a sudden to uproot and by faith come to a new land and relocate. And the people of that place a year later are going to vote on me and see whether I get to stay or not. The insecurities. Think of it. I can remember as a young man of 19 years old driving my 55 Chevy out of Wichita, Kansas, heading west to go to Oregon, a Bible college that I knew nothing about. My parents supported the call of God on my life, but they didn't support my trip west. Nor did they support, and when they talked to the pastor, so I would get counseling, nor did the pastor support it. They were telling me not to go. And I was in this place where I had to, you know, you're supposed to obey your parents in the Lord, right? But when you're 19 and you're hearing the voice of God and he's telling you to go do something and then your parents and then your pastor say, you, you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't go. And I remember just being torn apart and tears streaming. It, I always get up early and leave early, so it was probably... I don't know, 5 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And, and I felt like I was being abandoned by my family and my church and my pastor. And I was going to answer the call of God. But you know, God gave all that back to me. He, he gives, what, what you give up, he gives back. This morning we were asked to surrender everything. Uh, I remember a missionary from Argentina who played an accordion. He could, he could take any congregation and have them on their feet, arms raised, in worship, the manifest presence of God in the building. It was the most amazing anointing and gifting I'd ever seen in my life in a worship leader. And yet the day came a few years later when people started accusing him of manipulating the Lord and the Spirit with his accordion. So he had to take it off and lay it down and put it aside. You know, God does that. He, he did that in the scriptures. He gave back to Isaac what he laid down and gave up. But there are seasons in your life. Think of military kids. Think of military kids, and they come, and they get started in a school, and they make friends, and whoops, they have to leave. Or PKs and MKs experience all that all the time where they have to leave. God, there are seasons in life when God says, move away, relocate, do something else. Go dig fresh wells in a new place, in a new space. Now, the first thing Isaac did was, in verse 17 through 18, the first thing he did was he, he went and he built, he, he redug the wells of his father. And I want to commend that. I want to commend the fact that, and most of the messages you hear out of this passage of Scripture come from this text right here about redigging the wells of your father. Go back to the roots of prayer and fasting and revival and redig the wells of your father and walk in their anointing and all that. But I think what the Lord's telling me this morning to say to you is that new wine requires new wineskins. It's a new day and time for a new order. Pastor Dustin, if he is chosen and selected by you as the new pastor, 
will not lead church like Pastor Nathan or Pastor Mike or Pastor Chris. He'll have a different calling, a different anointing. And so I honor, it says in, it says in Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You can't do anything without foundations. You can't build a good house, a good building without foundations. You have to have found, You have to have heritage. You have to have legacy. You have to recognize history. History is what? It is his story. That's how you spell it, H-I-S, his story. History is his story. And so we honor that and we respect that and we run after that. And we are anchored in that. But God calls us by progressive revelation to keep moving forward. Remember, we've been talking about Matthew 11, forcefully advance the kingdom of God. We are called to advance the kingdom of God and to do new things in our own new day. You say, well, God never changes. It's right. God never changes. Himself, His nature. He says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. It says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why do I have to move on to something new? See, God doesn't change, but his ways change. His timing changes. His seasons change. His callings are different. Hebrews 1, 1 is a perfect example of that. If you know Hebrews 1, 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, boy, this really does sound old. This is King James again. That's how I learned. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. You see, in the old days he spoke by the prophets, but today he's speaking to us by his son. That shows God moves Revelation progressively. It says in, in Romans 1, we go from faith to faith. It says in, in uh, Psalm 84, we go from strength to strength. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, we go from glory to glory. And you are called to not sit idle, not coast, not camp and stay. Abraham lived a tent and altar life. When you're obeying God, he'll have you pick up your tent Pack it up, get your mules and your caravan and move on to a new place and dig fresh wells in the valley. Examine yourself this morning, beloved. Are you coasting? Are you coasting? Are you idle? Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 is a word from the Lord for us this morning. It says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Even if you've been in a desert place, even if you've been in the wilderness, God delights in bringing streams in the desert. Isaiah 35, he loves to make the desert blossom and bloom like a rose. He majors in that. It says in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Moses was on the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. There's a mountain for you. If you're on the backside of the desert today, there is a mountain for you, and it's the mountain of God. How do I know? See, Isaac didn't personally know God in the beginning. Uh, now, I will, I will grant you, he'd heard from his father about the oath and the covenant of God. He, he knew about God's covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and in chapter 26, we even know here 
that God spoke to him one time and repeated that covenant to him. But you know how I know that he hadn't got it yet? This reminds me of a lot of prodigals. Moms and dads have their kids in Sunday school and church, and they take them to youth camps, and they have experiences with God, and they, you know, they think that their kids are all good, everything's okay. They hit the college years, and all of a sudden, they disappear from church, and they disappear from the ways of God and the values of the parents, and they say, what's wrong? What happened? They never got it. I know Isaac never got it, and you know how I know he never got it at this point? Because he hadn't built an altar yet. You study the life of Abraham, and everywhere Abraham went, the first thing he did was build an altar, and then he pitched his tents, and then he dug a well. Isaac hadn't built an altar yet, but in chapter 25, as we read our text, he finally builds an altar. The first thing he does when he gets to Beersheba Chapter 25, I'm skipping way forward, Don, because <laughs> we're running out of time. He gets, he gets to Beersheba, and he builds an altar. What have we been talking about for three or four or five weeks? The importance of praise and worship, the on-ramp to the presence of God, which always results in the power of God manifesting itself in supernatural, miraculous ways. You want the power of the kingdom in your life. You want, you want people. There's this glorious passage that I didn't read you this morning out of this chapter 26. And it's Abimelech and the Philistines come to Isaac and his family and they want peace with him. And Isaac says, why, why are you coming to us and wanting to have an oath or a treaty? And they say, because we can see that God is with you. We can see that God is with you. That's what I want. All of the customers that walk in Carlson Jewelry to say, we can see, Fred, that God is with you and your staff. That's what I want where you work, where you go to the office, where you go to school, on the police force, <laughs> wherever you are, we can see that God is with you. We can see that God is with you. So here you have this guy, Isaac. He's rich, but he has no relationship. He has income, but he doesn't have his identity with God yet. He's wealthy, but he has no water. So what does he do? He digs. That's what I'm calling you to do this morning. We all have need to find fresh water in the valley. We all have been in valley places before, conflict, weeping, trouble, desperation. Sometimes it's just purely ambivalence and not knowing what purpose God has in your life. You're not in trouble. Your finances are good. Your marriage is good. You got a job. Everything seems to be working out around you, but you sense uh, inside of you that I'm just ambivalent. I, I don't sense purpose. There's this... I'm not being drawn or wooed by the Holy Spirit into the next assignment. And God is saying to you, you can't survive without fresh water. Go dig a new well. Even if you're in a valley, go dig a new well. The Holy Spirit, of course, water in Scripture is always the Holy Spirit, right? You know, a funny water story. Uh, Everybody in this room that is uh, under 25 years of age 
Raise your hand if you've heard the word dousing before. Whoa, all right, dousing, you know what it is. Okay, have you heard the word water witching before? Or there's another really crazy word that they use, uh, and I've got it here in my notes somewhere. Let me read it. Doodle bugging? Have you heard that? Okay, so what we're talking about is finding water with a forked stick. It's got to be green. It can't be dead. And it's got to be forked. And 90-plus percent of the public believe it's pseudoscience, that it's mythology, and there's not a thing to it. Right? That's where most of us would be if we talked about water witching or seeking water with, with those things. But some call it a gift. Others refer to it as dousing, doodle bugging, or water witching. The practice of locating underground water with a fork stick. But the question is, does it work? According to the American Society of Dousers, divining the location of water dates back millennia. In the tassel graves of northern Africa, an 8,000-year-old cave painting depicts a man holding a fork stick, apparently using it to search for water. In fact, there are historical images of this practice taking place not only in the Egyptian uh, pyramids with the pharaohs, but in ancient Chinese etchings as well. Um, although most would say that dousing is nothing more than a myth, there are quite a few people today who believe in this practice. In fact, when California was in the middle of its worst drought, they turned to local dousers to uncover hidden sources of water. And despite the skepticism, there are even a few scientists who think there's more here than meets the eye. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Don't give up on me. Most experts classify this art to the realm of pseudoscience. However, there is one study conducted by the German government in the 1990s, so it's just not very long ago, that perplexed the entire scientific community. During this study's 10-year research period, researchers paired up experienced geologists with dowsers, sending them to dry regions like Sri Lanka, Kenya, and Yemen. Scientists were shocked and surprised to find that many of the dowsers were spot on. In Sri Lanka alone, drill teams drilled 691 wells under the supervision of dowsers and found that 96% of the time they hit water. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. They not only hit water, the skeptic says, of course, well, you can drill anywhere for water, and if you drill deep enough, you're finally going to hit it, right? Some of you are here thinking that. The dowsers told them how deep it was going to be and what the volume of the water was going to be. Now, I consigned all this to mythology. And I was sitting in the living room of William Cathcart and his wife, Marion, one day. William is my apostolic mentor. William Cathcart, who's deceased now, started well over 100 churches in three different continents of the world. He lived a life of faith. Everything he had, he gave away, but God never ceased to supply for him. He was apostolic in the full biblical sense of the word because miracles, signs, and wonders followed his ministry wherever he went. We were sitting in there, and we got on the subject of talking about Jesus being the wellspring of life and, and this passage of text about waters. And, and just out of nowhere, Brother Cathcart says to me, I know how to water, which I found water several times that way. 
And I thought, here is a man of God talking to me about something like astrology or, or some, some weird thing that's just not real. Now, I am not here to make a case for water witching or dousing, but I'm here to make a case that you cannot survive without water. Religion without water doesn't work. The church without the Holy Spirit doesn't work. Do you understand that? Just to, just to use our minds and our strategic planning and our emotions and our, and our uh, will to do church and to plan services and to expand the kingdom doesn't work. You know, the human body, the average adult human body is 57 to 60% water. Most of you are 57 to 60% water. The earth is covered with, I didn't even look it up, I don't know, two-thirds of the planet earth at least is covered with water. Water, water is life. You can live a long time without food, but you can't live very long without water. What is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. God has called us to dig wells. Wells of fresh water. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, it actually says, keep being filled. Keep on being filled. Literally, transliterated, it says, be being filled. So you don't just, you aren't baptized with the Holy Spirit when He comes upon you. It's not just one time back in your life that you testify about the good old days. It is be being filled with the Spirit, digging fresh wells all the time, intentionally reaching out to God. And I guarantee you, if you want the power of the Spirit on your life and in your life, He will call you to do some things that, frankly, are pretty weird. But that goes all the way back to Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. It goes all the way back when the Holy Spirit poured out himself on the apostle disciples. What is the first thing they were accused of? Peter stood up and he said, look, men and brethren, they aren't drunk as you're suggesting. If you know anything about getting drunk, people do pretty weird things when they're drunk. But that's what it appeared to be to those that were present. We didn't have time this morning to talk about the conflict. They drilled a well, or they dug a well. They dug, they hand dug a well. And because the Philistines wanted it and argued over it, it was called dispute, Essex, dispute. And then they dug another well. And because the Philistine herdsmen wanted that one and they argued over it, it was called opposition. I can't tell you why it is when you really sincerely dig for the life-giving fresh water of the Spirit that there's always opposition. But as a student of revival history, I can tell you going back as far as you want that wherever the Holy Spirit moves in power and authority and dominion, there will always be opposition. Because the Holy Spirit does the stuff. He's the one that makes transformations happen and deliverances. He opens the blind eyes and unstops the deaf ears. He's the one that advances the kingdom of God through you. So let's stand together, shall we, this morning, and let's pray a prayer asking the Lord to give you the third well, Rehoboth. The third well, not a well of dispute, not a well of opposition, but a well that means God has given us room He's given us space.
And now in this place we can flourish. Don't you love freedom? Don't you love freedom? And acceptance where the Holy Spirit moves, that's what should happen. People should be accepted. People should be understood as being thirsty. I'm thirsty. I will tell you, I'm thirsty for God. I am hungry for God. I want more of God in my life. I haven't arrived. I'm still running the race. I'm thirsty. And I want to flourish in the space where I am. I don't want to be smothered. I want to breathe. I want the breath of God and the wind of God to be welcome in our midst. So, Father, in Jesus' name this morning, we ask for the Holy Spirit not only to be with us and not only to be in us, but Holy Spirit, would you come up on us in baptism power and show us how to dig fresh wells in the valley. Lord, we ask for fresh water in the valley. Show us, Lord, where to dig. Show us how to dig. We listen for you, Lord, as we anticipate the shout from these that are gathered here, we have found water. When the servants of Isaac came and said, we found water, Lord, may that be, Lord, you know, we have a segment for testimonies in our services usually, and we just hope that that line is so long that people have stories to tell of how God is moving in their life, that they're saying, we have found water. We pray, Lord, over these that are gathered here and those that are watching online, that they'll be surrounded by people that say, your God is powerful. We recognize God in your life. Lord, we seek nothing for ourselves. We don't want to be seen or noticed. We don't need to be in the spotlight. We have no personal ambition in this at all. We simply want Jesus. We simply want Jesus to be seen by those around us. We want to expand the kingdom of God, which expands forcefully. Thank you, Lord, this morning for your promise of fresh water. And let not one of us depart this service today without bowing our hearts and bending our knees before you and saying, Lord, show us where to dig in a new place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed. Love you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.